Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. We can see some of ourselves in each of the apostles that we're going to look at today. There's a little bit of each of them in us that we can relate to and and learn something from because these guys were very unlikely draft picks, very unusual draft picks, and I think this will, will find this very encouraging for our own lives, okay? Let me pray first. Father, we thank you for the worship time. We thank you for bringing us all here today. We pray for your mercy and grace because we know that we're here for a reason that you want to speak to us through your word now and pray that you would do that. Pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's read the passage here. Mark 3, starting with verse 13. And it says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted and they came to him. He appointed 12, designating designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Bonerges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So we have this whole list of disciples. Now, it's interesting that Mark left out, there's parallel passages, and each one brings out a different aspect. But I just want to look real quick over at Luke chapter 6, verse 12, because Luke brought out something that Mark didn't mention, but I think it's worth looking at. And that is that, verse, I think it's up behind me, yeah. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Then he goes out and picks his 12 apostles. So Jesus spent that whole night, before making a big decision, he spent the whole night in prayer. And I think that's a great reminder to us that before we, we, before we make any big decisions, we have to wait on him, we have to pray, we have to wait for his leading, we have to wait till we have his, his peace. Before we take that job, before we marry that person, before we date that person, before we go to the school or, or, or go into a, a certain ministry. I know when we were waiting for a youth pastor the last, <laughs> since spring, you know, and uh, I was really, I know I was really praying, a lot of you were praying, and I was even praying specifically for Dave. Remember last week he said he was the only one who didn't know he was being prayed for. I was like, God, please, Dave, I really think Dave, you brought Dave back from the Dominican Republic to be our youth pastor. But he was the last one to find out. But there's a lot of prayer in that, a lot of people praying. And that's so important that we really pray and, and, and know what God wants us to do and have peace about it before we really do anything, really, right? But especially big decisions like picking 12 apostles. So back to Mark chapter 3 where we look at the list here, and we see that from Jesus, all of his disciples, he had a, a big crowd of people following him. He had the mob, but then he had disciples, people that were really following him. That's what disciples means, followers. From his disciples, he picks 12 apostles. Disciple means to fo- someone who follows. Apostle means to send out, the sent out ones. So from his followers, he picked 12 to send out, okay? And 12, we all heard that number before from the Old Testament, the 12 
tribes and the 12 patriarchs, right? And there's an obvious connection when Jesus didn't pick 12 by accident. He picked 12 apostles of a new nation, a new nation, not a physical, but a spiritual nation. Not, a, not that are going to have physical children, but spiritual children. They're still Jewish. Our foundation is still Jewish, and God still has a very special place in his heart for the, the nation of Israel and for the Jewish people. The apostles, Jesus was a Jew, The apostles, all 12 were Jewish, all right? That's still our foundation, not rejecting that in any way. But he was was obviously challenging the religious establishment of that time that had gotten away from its true roots, right? So he gives 12 apostles amazing authority, amazing power. We talked about that the last couple weeks. These guys must have been pretty special guys, right? To give the kind of authority he gave them and and, uh, gifts and they gave heal and cast out demons and do all these wild things, they must have been pretty special, right? <laughs> ah, no, they were pretty ordinary, maybe even below average. Four fishermen, uh, at least four of them were fishermen, you know, stinky fishermen, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, and a tax collector thrown on top of that. The only guy out of these 12 that showed any kind of potential or any kind of promise was Judas. He's the only guy who had anything on the ball. Any kind of ability was Judas. He was smart. He was shrewd. He knew how to handle money. I mean, he was the only one with anything on the ball. The rest of them were a bunch of losers, right? Uh, so let's look who he picked, and I think we're going to see some hope for each one of us. He starts off with Simon, who he says Jesus nicknamed Peter, which means the rock, the rock, all right? And it's interesting with Peter, he was a very impulsive guy. Remember, he jumped out of the boat, you know, uh, jumped out of the boat, sunk. But we often forget he did take a couple steps on that water. Jesus, uh, besides Jesus, who walked on the water, Simon is the only, one, only human to ever actually walk on water, just like Jesus. But he didn't go quite as far, right? But he, he had the impulsiveness. He also had a very big mouth, all right? We all know about that. Even if everybody else falls away, Jesus, I'm going to... St- stick with you. You don't have to worry about me. Right? You know? He had had that that big mouth. But God did use that big mouth to confess. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So there's two sides, right? And isn't that usually the case? Our greatest strength is our greatest weakness. Peter's greatest strength was his confession and and how he used Peter to preach. And yet he was always sticking his foot in his mouth and causing all kinds of trouble. Even the book of Acts, he, he caused all kinds of things. Uh, it's, 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 our, it's our greatest strength is our greatest weakness. There's a flip side to both, isn't it? If we're, very, if we're a kind of person who perseveres and sticks with something, that's great. But the negative side is our stubbornness, right? And you can look at every, think of your greatest strength in your life. Your character, that's, that's your, what you're known for as being something really good. Odds are, if you flip that over, that's also where your greatest weakness is. And where we do the most damage is where we do the most good with. Every one of us has that that flip side on that. And when we're in the spirit, well, I'll use Peter. In the spirit, his mouth did tremendous things. But when he was in the flesh, his mouth caused a lot of trouble. When we're in the spirit and we're in a good spiritual place, we are accomplishing good things. God can accomplish good things through our strength. But we're in the wrong place. We can do a lot of damage with it. So, Peter. uh, James and John, the sons of 
Thunder, right? They like the race car drivers. Uh, they, the, they were sons of thunder. These are the guys, same two, James and John, who wanted to fry the Samaritans. You remember the story about the Samaritans? They didn't accept James and John and the teaching that they were doing. And, and so they got all ticked off. And they said, Jesus, send down fire from heaven and fry them. You know, hit them with lightning. You know, really roast them. You know, and all you're saying, wow, those guys aren't mean. But how many of us, if we had the power, and they did, Jesus had the power, wouldn't you maybe use the same power at times? You know, you're driving your car and somebody cuts you off. And what's your first reaction? Oh, I wish I could, you know, just, just flatten their tire. Just flatten their tire. You know, we get ticked off when someone wrongs us, right? We, we would be tempted to do the same thing, right? And so these guys, uh, these guys are very aggressive. They came about it honestly because their mother, remember mom, was one of those, was so competitive. Ask Jesus to put you number one. You guys should be number one and number two on the team. You guys should be on the starting lineup, you know? And uh, they were pushing, pushing, pushing. So that's where they got this whole thing from this whole Sons of Thunder. Mom, you know, apple never falls far from the tree. And yet, John came to be known as the apostle of love. The same guy who wanted to fry the Samaritans ends up the apostle of love. Something changed him. And something changed all of them, as we'll see a little bit later on. Andrew. Andrew is Peter's brother. And what is Andrew known for? He brought... What's that? Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. Andrew was the one who invited Peter, his brother, to Jesus. Now, he probably did because he was so sick of Peter and was hoping this new teacher could change the guy. Possibly. Who knows? You live with Peter. He's a strong guy. But he was very good at bringing people to Jesus. He was the one who brought the little boy with the two loaves and the five fishes to Jesus. He was that, he was that kind of guy, an inviting kind of a person. Then we have Philip on our list here. Philip. That's Philip spelled with one L. He was a detail-orientated guy. If you've read through the Gospels, you see he was all about details. And he was a realist. He was a, he was a re- realist. He kept Jesus grounded. Whenever Jesus' spiritual ideas got a little too far out there, he kept Jesus grounded. Uh, he had to bring Jesus back to reality on a regular basis. For instance, when, when Jesus said, let's feed this mob, 5,000 people. You know, it's time to feed them. Philip knew his job. He said, we don't have enough money to feed these people. Send them home. Jesus, come on. This can't be done. That was his job, to make sure Jesus didn't get too far out there with spiritual ideas. And that was how he, that was his job all throughout, the, you see that throughout the scripture. Uh, and whenever there was a, 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 a vote, you know, like an elder meeting vote, the apostle vote, he always voted with Judas. He and Judas voted together. Judas, because he, they voted together on the money matters, because Judas didn't want to spend any money because he was stealing it. Remember the story, G- Judas stealing the money out of the, the purse? And, and Philip voted with him because he knew we didn't have enough money. So they kind of voted together. You know, we don't have enough money. We don't have enough money. They were always voting against whatever Jesus wanted to spend money on. Okay? So that's how they kind of worked together. One for the reason, one good, one bad. Matthew. We had at least one Matthew here that mentioned that. Remember Matthew? We looked at him back in Mark chapter 2, 13 to 17. If you didn't, weren't here for that, get the CD uh, tape. It's, it was, it's just a really moving story because Matthew's original name is Levi, right? He was Levi the tax collector. He was, that's uh, not a good thing. He was a thief. He was a lowlife. He was a scum of society. And yet, what a touching story. Jesus calls him and renames him Matthew, the gift from God. 
make sure you listen to that. It's a really encouraging for all of us. Then uh, also Bartholomew and James. Bartholomew and James. And what are these? This is a different James from the first one, obviously. But Bartholomew and James, what are they known for? Nothing. <laughs> Mark doesn't mention them again. In fact, Mark doesn't mention six out of the twelve apostles again. They're like, they're on a list, and then they just disappear. They're, no, they're, no, they're known for nothing. Uh, but we do know this about them, that they were martyred. We know 11 out of the 12 apostles were martyred, some because of the scripture and others because of very strong tradition. It's, it's well known that, that 11 out of the 12 were martyred. The only one who wasn't martyred was John, or we, when we did the book of Revelation, John wrote the book of Revelation. They tried to martyr John. There's a very strong tradition. Remember that the emperor tried to boil him in oil? He didn't cook, so they sent him off to the island of Patmos, you know, for, and said, if you're not going to cook, you're not going to die, you're going to at least hide you off on this, this island. And that's where he received the vision of Revelation and wrote the book of Revelation. But, uh, but these, these 11 out of the 12 were martyred. We know that God worked powerfully in their lives, even though we don't know much more about them after this. Thomas, we all know, doubting Thomas. Now, to be fair to Thomas, some of you, I bet somebody here scored a Thomas, and you didn't want to raise your hand. To be fair to Thomas, all the apostles doubted. He wasn't the only one who doubted. They all did. Remember, they were all hiding in the room, and... And the door knocks, and they wouldn't open the door. They were all hiding. They all doubted. They didn't, he wasn't the only one. He just didn't happen to be there with the other doubters. So he kind of stuck out like a sore thumb later on. But the same one who is known as Doubting Thomas also had a very brave faith. Remember when Jesus said, we're going to Jerusalem? And they all knew what that meant. They were waiting to kill him in Jerusalem. The, he, Thomas was one who said, well, okay, if Jesus is going to go get killed, we gotta go, let's go get killed with him. Let's all go die. He was the one who, he did have a brave side too. Because Thomas means twin. The word means twin. Some think he had a twin. We're not sure about that. But we do know that he had twin personalities. He had doubt and faith closely linked. And doubt and faith are very closely linked in the Bible. Doubt gives birth to faith. If you have doubts, whew, you're in good company. Doubts give birth. Doubts is what forces us to wrestle with our faith. And that's what, how God grows our faith, is through doubts. If you have doubts, don't, don't fight them. Wrestle with them. Look into the Bible. Study and, and search, because that's what grows our faith. Doubts grows our faith. It's a good thing. It's a gift that we have. So don't ever be afraid of doubt. That's a good thing. We'll talk more about that if you ever want to. Uh, Thaddeus. Thaddeus is the one who said, aren't you going to show yourself to the world and not just us, Jesus? What was he really saying? Well, my parents think I need to get a real job, Jesus. I shouldn't be following you around everywhere. You know? They don't know how, what a great guy. And all my friends think I'm crazy. You know? But if you'll just go on TV and do these miracles that you're doing for us and show the power, do the transfiguration on TV, do all that on TV, then everybody will know I, I'm a pretty important guy. Right? Come on, Jesus. You got to do it. You got to be a little more. You got to do things a little higher, the right PR guy, and do this a little bit better. So that's Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot. Josephus, the, the historian Josephus, we've talked about him before, referred to the Zealots as dagger men. 
Dagger men. That's why I said be careful if you're on Nina. All right, because uh, be careful. They're dagger men. They were the terrorists of the day. He was a terrorist. And they were trying to overthrow Rome, just like the terrorists do. They're trying to overthrow something. Um, and as you know, my I was highest on Simon the Zealot. It must be all the swords and daggers if you ever been to my house. It's Gunner's fault. Gunner's giving me lots of swords and daggers, but I, I do take them. But uh, that must be my sword collection and my dagger collection. That, that's how I scored high. I don't know. Anyway, Judas Iscariot. Judas is a, the Greek form of Judah, okay? And he was the treasurer, and he was also the traitor, as we found out. But you know what? Judas didn't start out as a traitor. He initially followed Jesus sincerely. Did you know that? So if you scored high Judas, that's okay. You just scored at his personality. doesn't mean you're going to be a traitor. But what happened is he first followed Jesus and liked Jesus, but he didn't like, over time, Jesus kept losing followers and money. <laughs> Everywhere he went, he lost people. The crowd kept, Jesus kept thinning the crowd down. He kept losing followers and money. And he didn't like that. Hmm. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? You ever been in a church where people are like out in the parking lot? You know, these parking lot board meetings. Ah, we don't have as many people as we used to have. And we're behind on the giving. Maybe it's time to get rid of that pastor. Have you ever heard anything like that? <laughs> well, hmm, we're all in good company, aren't we? Because I think we've all felt that way, haven't we? We've doubted leadership and doubted what God is doing. And, and uh, that's, that was Judas Iscariot. So, Jesus takes these 12 unlikely draft picks for his team. Really dumb draft picks. And he turns the world upside down. Which means that he can use us, each one of us, to turn our town upside down, our school, our college upside down, <clears throat> our neighborhood, our sports team, wherever God has us, he can use us to turn it upside down no matter what we're like. Which one of these guys are you most like? Maybe you didn't get the test, but you're thinking, ah, I could relate to this one. Which one are we most like? Once again, I think there's a little bit of each apostle in all of us, isn't there? I can see Peter's impulsiveness at times. I can see Thomas's doubts. I can even see Judas a lot of times in my life. You know, you know, Judas, we want, thing, we want God to do things our way. And if he doesn't, we mutiny. That's what Judas did. He followed Jesus, but Jesus didn't do it the way he thought he should, so he mutinied. That's what happened. Do we ever do that? We don't like the way God is working things out. In our life, and so we take things into our own hands and have a little mutiny there. Every one of the apostles had their weaknesses, and we all have our major weaknesses, don't we? Every one of us is vulnerable in some area of our life. Every one of us. And if you don't think you are, then you're really vulnerable because you're in bad shape because you can't even see it. Ask your spouse or, you know, parents. <laughs> They'll be happy to tell you. But uh, <clears throat> we all... We all are vulnerable. But, but what gives us hope here is that God can use anybody. Anybody. I read this several times. I'm going to read it again. The excuses illustration. Somebody emailed me this. It's good. The next time you think God can't use you, remember the following people. Noah had a drinking problem. Abraham was too old. Jacob lied a lot. 
Leah wasn't very attractive. Joseph was abused. Moses was a murderer. Deborah was a woman in a male-dominated society. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and a lust problem. In fact, we would call it sexual addiction today. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah was emotion, had emotional problems. He was an emotionally unstable person. David pretended to be insane, had an affair, ran off, was all kinds of family dissensions, had a very rebellious son. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Read it, Isaiah. Uh, Jonah ran away from God. Naomi was a poor widow. Job was bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter was impulsive and hot-tempered. The disciples fell asleep every time they started praying. Martha was a worrywart. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. The Samaritan woman was divorced many, many times. Zacchaeus was too small. Timothy had a stomach ulcer, and he was way too young. And Lazarus was dead. (laughs) But God used him. And if God can use these people, even a dead guy, he can use us. No matter what our weaknesses are, no matter what our vulnerabilities are, he can use us. In fact, in Hebrews 11, and this is really powerful, in in Hebrews 11, he's talking about the, the hall of faith and all the great People of faith that God used powerfully. And, and just going through this list, I was like, how did they get in there? You know, this is, let's start with verse 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon. Wait, Gideon? Didn't he have all those doubts and he had to have the fleece get wet and dry? What's, what, what is he doing here in the hall of faith? Uh, Barak. Barak was afraid to go fight. He had, God had to send a woman to help him, right? Samson. Sexual addictions. Jephthah sacrificed his daughter because he made a rash vow. He had to actually sacrifice his own daughter. It didn't happen, but he did. David, woof, what a problem that guy had, right? Murder, adultery, kids trying to kill him, crazy. Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, we know who that is, uh, Daniel, quenched the fury of the flames, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and escaped the edge of the sword. All these guys. Can you believe they're on that list? But then it says, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Whose weakness was turned to strength. God took these weak people with their vulnerabilities and he used them with his power, with, with his strength. See, with, what do we do when we have a weakness? What do we usually do? Try to overcome it, try to deny it. But the key is not to deny our weaknesses. Paul gives an amazing command with our weaknesses he says don't deny them he says to delight in them in fact in 2 Corinthians 12 verses 9 and 10 he says to them but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness therefore I will boast all more gladly about my weaknesses for when so that Christ I'm sorry I got this memorized but I'm losing it see that's my weakness alright I'm going to read it here uh 
My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Instead of denying our weaknesses, we're to, to delight in them. Because our vulnerabilities, first of all, our vulnerabilities, if, if we, they're negative, if they cause us to fall and, and to, to, to crash spiritually. But they're positive if they cause us to discover God's grace. If they cause us to discover God's grace, our weaknesses may ideally make us dependent on God's strength, which is the real power we're to depend on. Our weaknesses make us dependent on him. That's the key with, with how all of us as these disciples and apostles and vulnerabilities and weaknesses, and we're all so messed up. But God uses us in our weakness. And we get that through his grace. It's about his grace, discovering his grace. Grace means unmerited favor. It's a gift. And, and we just depend on him giving us the strength and giving us and helping us through the day. God, I need you. I'm, I'm weak in this area. I'm going to fall in this area. I need you. I have this temptation. I have this struggle. I have this depression. I have this physical problem. I have this. And God lets us have these so that we just keep saying, God, I need you. I need you. I need you. Brad's here for the first time in several weeks. I bet you've been praying that a lot with the whole back thing, second epidural. But I bet, I bet all the time he's like, God, I need you to get up today. I need you to get out of the house. I need you to go to work. I need everything. And, but that's how God, we all have struggles, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual struggles that keep us dependent on God. And that's, what he, that's where he wants us to be, dependent on his strength. And, and if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ, it's, even that is all about grace. It's how do we become a disciple in the first place following Christ? It's all about putting our faith in God's grace. We just, just, we all were helpless before God. We have no way of reconnecting with God because of our sin, because of the mess we made in our life. We are all facing judgment, but God sends his son, Jesus Christ, to pay for our sins on that cross and, and, to, and, and to come, if we put our faith in him, he come and live inside of us and give us that strength. That's it's all about grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace you are saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. We put our faith in God's grace. His grace is sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. We put our faith, our trust in him. It's all faith. We, we are saved by putting our faith in God's grace. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We are saved by faith. By, by putting our faith in God's grace. Not only that, we live by faith in God's grace. We're not only saved and get right with God through that faith in his grace, but we live by that faith in the same way. We live by faith in God's grace. It's not just once we pray the prayer, it's all over. No, it's an ongoing, constant thing. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith. In the Son of God. We are saved by faith and we have to live by faith. That constant living by faith. I've used this story probably a couple years ago. Uh, Niagara Falls. I grew up near Niagara Falls. Going to be going back there in a few weeks with the kids. And the first time I ever went water skiing, 
there's not a lot of smooth water out where I'm from. It's Lake Ontario. It's rough. And, but I had friends who had a boat, and they used to take, go water skiing on the Niagara River, a couple miles above the falls. It was kind of a somewhat smooth area. And, and I remember they, just, they said, you want to go water skiing? And I'd never been water skiing because, you know, where I grew up, people didn't do a lot of water skiing. We were on farms and had to work. But I said, yeah, I'll try it. I was in uh, college. And I said, yeah, I'd like to try that. So when I, I remember they took me out to water skiing, and I was an athlete, and I was a farm boy, and I was strong. And, and I remember saying, this is going to be easy. If these, I see all these kids and girls water skiing, I'm going to do this, no problem. So I remember I got out in the river, in the Naga River, and they said, okay, now, hold, now let the ski, put your skis up out of the water. If you ever water ski, you know what I'm talking about, I had two on. And they said, now put the rope between the skis, hold on, and the boat's going to pull you up. Let it pull you up. And once it gets up, just hold on to the rope. So I said, oh, that's going to be easy. So they gunned the boat, pull up out of the river there, and uh, I pull up, and as soon as I get up, I pulled on the rope, but flop on my back. They said, no, 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 the boat pulls you up, but let the boat do the work. Just hold on. You don't have to do anything. You just have to hold on to the rope. So, okay, yeah, I got it, I got it, I got it. So they loop around again, give me the rope, pull me up, no problem, pull on the rope, bam, right on my back again. I could not get this concept because I just thought I had to, to do something be, more than just hanging on. And, and this kept going on I, I, probably 10, 11, 12 times. Finally, they were joking. We see the mist from the falls. This is your last chance. If you don't you hang on, just you know, do it right. We're going to let you go over. We were probably about a mile up, two miles above the falls by then. We just kept floating, floating. And, and I'll never forget, I finally pulled up and I started to pull it. I said, no, no, no. And I just kept doing it. And the rope kept getting slapped. But I kept forcing my arms out, and finally, I was water skiing. And it was amazing. I didn't have to do anything except hang on to the rope. And the same thing is true spiritually. Jesus is that boat who pulls us out of the water. We're, under, we're buried in, under our sin and buried under the garbage that we've created, the lives. We're buried under it, and Jesus pulls us out. We're saved. We're out. You know, we put our faith in it. We're hanging on. Hold on the rope. But after we've been brought up out of the judgment... Just like the baptism next week, when they go under the water, it's a picture of dying to self and coming alive in Christ. When we, when we come, up out, of, when I can't, we come up out of that water, holding on to Jesus Christ, the temptation then, we know we're saved by the boat. Jesus did it all, right? But the temptation then is to try to do it ourselves. And we, in our own effort, our own strength, we keep trying to take things into our own hands. And it's the same thing. The same way that we couldn't get out of the water, the boat had to pull us out, we have to depend on the boat to to pull us. All we have to do is hang on to Jesus Christ. And we we can't make it happen. We have to let Jesus do it. And wherever the boat goes, guess what? We go, right? And wherever Jesus takes us, we go. We just have to hang on. And that's what living by faith, living by grace. We're saved by faith. Yeah, I grab the rope. Jesus, pull me out of my sin. Pull me out of this. Forgive me. Make me a new person. That's salvation. But then it's hanging on and living daily, holding on to that, that rope, letting him take us. And, and every, what do we do honestly? I'm going to do it myself. Fall on our face. Okay, Jesus, you keep pulling. How about our lives? Have we put our faith in Jesus Christ? Are we living by faith? Let's pray. Maybe you're here this morning and you're still buried under that water 
of sin and judgment. And you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never taken a hold of Jesus and said, pull me, out of, pull me out of my sin. Pull me out of the mess I've made. Pull me out of the judgment I'm under. Pull me out of the garbage I've been living in. I want to put my faith in you, Jesus. You've never taken that step, but this morning, God is speaking to your heart, and this could be the morning that you, you take that step. You pray the prayer of faith. Right where you're sitting, just between you and God. Just say, God, I, I believe Jesus, your son, came to die for me on that cross. And I put my faith in him. I take a hold of that rope and ask Jesus to pull me out of my sin, which I don't want anymore, of the garbage in my life, of the judgment I'm under, I ask Jesus to pull me out. I put my faith in him. I give my life to Jesus. Wherever he pulls me, I'm going. I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to him. If you prayed that prayer of faith, I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Maybe you came with somebody. Maybe you have a friend here. Or let me know. Tell me on the way out. Email me. My number's in the bulletin there. To call. Fill out the card. Stick it in the box on the way out. Let, let me know somehow so that I can be excited for you and pray for you and encourage you. For those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, we know we've taken hold of that rope. We know Jesus pulled us out. We know that we're forgiven and we have a new life, but... Maybe here, Tane, you relate more to falling on your face than gliding across the water. Maybe we realize that we were saved by faith, but now we're trying to live by our own effort. And God is speaking to us about an area of our life where we need to live by faith in God's grace. Maybe there's an area of our life that we're very vulnerable Hey, we need to share that with somebody. But more than anything, we need to say, God, I need you in this area of my life. I'm vulnerable. I'm weak. I need you every day, every hour, every minute, every second. Because of this weakness that I have, I need you. Every time I fall on my face, it's a reminder, God, I need you. Every time we struggle, it's a reminder, God, I need you. I need you to be a good husband or wife. I need you to be a good parent. I need you to live out Christ in front of people. I need you to do the job you've called me to do or study the way you want me to or whatever in our life, whatever God is calling us to. We need him. Father, only you know how weak we really are. Only you know how vulnerable each one of us is and what our special vulnerability is. Lord, I pray that each one of us in our weakness would learn your strength and your power in a special way this week. Today. And Lord, I pray you would help each of us to hang on tight to Jesus wherever he leads, however he leads, wherever he leads, Lord. 
Help us to hang on to Jesus. We pray for your mercy and grace to fall on us in a special way. In Jesus' name, amen.